Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is the Pomp and Pony Podcast, powered by Bowser Chevrolet. Here's Bob Pompiani from KDKA-TV and Andrew Filipponi from 93.7 The Fan. Honored to have with us a uh, member of the Retiree Club right now, and uh, after six decades of work with the Pittsburgh Pirates in a whole bunch of different capacities, Steve Blass joins us and interrupts his golf game, which I'm sure is seven days a week now that he's in retirement. And Steve, we, we're sorry, you might be on the back nine somewhere, so I don't want to you know mess up the floor of your game. Hole. Maybe the 19th hole, that yep. could be it too. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's, that's uh, coming up uh, shortly. It's been, it's been a busy day because I've had a chance to talk to a lot of people and uh, it's a uh, it's a wonderful thing this 50th anniversary. Uh, uh, I'm going to get a chance to see you know the guys that are still with us in this in this world. Uh, the only the only bad thing about this gathering is that uh, our stories will be uh, filled with errors now that we're in the uh, internet uh, part of the universe. So uh, the, the the stats that we used to have won't hold up with the scrutiny. <laughs> Steve, when you guys get together, when you 70. 70- one guys uh, get together. Can you give us a kind of a inside glimpse on what it's like? Yeah, it's it's a reunion. You know, we, we're first of all you're catching up. Uh, well, hey, what are you do, uh, what are you doing? Are you still doing any kind of work? You retired, and then you check in with the family. How's the family and grandkids and all, all that sort of thing? And then uh, usually with the uh, the miracle of alcohol, then we start talking <laughs> about our careers and, and the seventy one season. <laughs> And uh, it, it gets to be fun, and, and you know we're we're telling stories on each other, and it's it's just a it, it winds up being a good old time to see some guys who went through a, a wonderful experience with a, a World Series year. And uh, that that being said, you know what what kind of came to my mind this morning when I was thinking about this whole thing is the fact that that the group of of minor leaguers that came through our system in the late '60s. Uh, and, and kind of meshed in with, with the guys that were left over, like the Mazeroskis and Stargills and Clementes, uh, couldn't have been a better fit because in my mind, we had the best or, or uh, close to the best farm system in all of baseball. When you think about the Olivers and Robertsons and, and Hebners and, and Sangians and, and, uh, you know, Kleins and Keesons and Ellis and all that stuff. So, it, it, I, I think the timing couldn't have been perfect for that group to kind of meld in. And uh, I think we wound up in 1971 with with a roster of guys that were so uh, not interchangeable, but, but so well uh, fit that if you took out Oliver, then, then out of center field clients, you, you didn't lose much with, with the guys. If Sangin didn't catch or get a day off, Milt May, who would have been able to catch as a regular on, on any other team. So the mix was good. You, if you had to make a substitution on one of your regulars, you didn't lose a lot of talent. And I, I think that we could see that coming in the late 60s and then in the 70s season we got in the playoffs and it just really 
kind of all came together in 71. And your performances uh, were one for the ages there. Uh, I'm just curious about your favorite memory about some of those games. You don't see complete games anymore in, in baseball, let alone, you know, when you're talking about World Series. Um, what's What stood out to you about your the way you pitched and, and how big those games were and what you what you felt well, like when you were on the mound? Well, they, they were huge, Bob, because – uh, you know, I, I, the Orioles had won 16 in a row when you can, when you think about their regular season, then sweeping their playoffs, and then winning the first two against us. This is a quality team. 100 wins. They're they're defending world champions. If we go down three nothing, you, you know, it's hard to imagine coming back. So game three uh, was the game of my life, and uh, we had to have that game. We just had to have that game because. Uh, again, you're not going to you're not going to beat them uh, four games in a row, uh, and then we wind up sweeping them by out pitching them in the three home games. My game, and then the first night game when Bruce Keeson was unbelievable, coming in in the first inning and six plus innings of relief uh, in that first World Series night game, and then Bryles pitching a two hitter. So I mean, we ran the table with our pitchers against those four twenty game winners. And those three games, and that you know that was absolutely huge. But uh, one one step backward, if I can take a minute, the the, the playoffs uh, were not good for me. I, I got my face ripped off, and I realized why. <laughs> I had not ever been in postseason before, and therefore I thought I had to be better. I had to be faster, and I fell into that trap of not being the pitcher that kind of got me there. And so I was able to figure that out between the playoffs. And I had to wait till the third game because uh, because of what had happened in the playoffs. So uh, uh, you know, it just all it fell into place in Game Three, and I'm, I'm in one of those bubbles they talk about, where uh, you're you're just not hoping to make good pitches and and, and throw well. You're expecting to, and it's uh, you know I wound up being three pitches ahead of myself if I'm trying to get Boog Powell set up for a slow curveball, and I'm showing him two sliders first and a fastball, and then I get to the pitch I want. So uh, it just got to the point in that third game where I was I was doing everything I wanted to. And when I think back on it, uh, that was to me, that was the critical game. Uh, we had to have that game. Mm. Uh, and then in my mind, okay, I've had my moment in the sun. I never knew anybody that rooted harder for us to win game six because I had had my moment. I was okay with that. <laughs> But Murtaugh told me if we went to the seventh game that I was going to be the pitcher. So when Frank Robinson slid under Sanguin for the Orioles to win game six, he literally, I was sitting next to him, he tapped me on the shoulder and said, Tag, you're it. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, my God. <laughs> but it's, Steve, uh, it, it, it's stuff you dream about. Uh, you know, when it, you win game three and your father jumps out of the stands to be with you on national television with Tony Kubek. And then, then you you win game seven as a teammate of Clemente. So he hits a home run. I have a great game. Uh, there's a wonderful picture I have in my office of him and I, you know, uh, bare chested, smiling, big smiles on our face after that, that game. So uh, fantasies and, and, and dreams can come, come true because that October I lived them. I lived, hmm. I lived all those kind of dreams. Steve, what was, what was your game plan when it came to Frank Robinson in that series? Uh, Try to try to keep the ball away from his power because in game three I, I gave up three hits, but the one hit uh, that he got was a, a monster home run because I hung a slider, and uh, so I, I wanted to, I wanted to move him off the plate if I could, 
uh, and, and maybe show him an old slop drop that I used a lot against Boog Powell to set up a slider because when I was pitching well, I could throw the slider wherever I wanted to. I missed in game three, and it crushed it. And uh, so going into game seven, I said, I just got to keep the ball away from him. And as ironic as it was, I, I struck him out with a slow curve earlier in game seven. But when he got up in the bottom of the ninth inning with one out, uh, Sangi called for a slider, and I threw it, and it was the exact same slider that he crushed in game three on the first pitch of the at-bat, and he popped it straight up in the air to Jackie Hernandez. Unbelievable. I, I, you know, you ever have those dreams where, where everything slows down? That ball left my hand, and I said, oh, my God. <laughs> he pops it up, but that's baseball. And, uh, and, then, and then the, the base hit the uh, that Rettenden didn't get bounced off uh, the side of the mound, and Jackie Hernandez was able to get it. And uh, I, I thought when it went by me, I said, here comes Jesse, which would have been the right thing. But uh, Jackie was playing shaded up and back a second base, and I turned around. I said, oh, my God, catch it. Now throw it. And I turned to Robert, around to Robertson. I said, now you catch it. Now all hell, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> so I've, I've got that. I, my God, I can live that to this minute. Well, those are some great memories, and they'll all be on display uh, this weekend when these guys get together and celebrate what was a magical year. Uh, Steve, I want to also talk to you about just what's happened with pitching since you know you, you've covered, you've been, you've done it. Uh, we saw Cole not too long ago go 129 pitches and beg to be out there, but we don't see that very often. Why do we no, not see uh, complete games anymore? Uh, I, I wish I could answer that 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 question because we were trained that the more you pitch. Uh, the stronger your arm gets. And I don't know if it's economics. Uh, it's hard to justify that it's for health reasons because there's more pitchers on the DL now than there ever has been. So I wish I had an answer, but uh, I know the more we threw, the more we built our arms up. And, and it was a different era. Uh, and we were, we were trained as minor leaguers to, to pitch a lot of innings. I mean, when I graduated from high school, I weighed 160 pounds when I signed with the Pirates. And I pitched a little bit that summer, but the next year, 61, I threw like 180 innings uh, as a 19-year-old. As wow. And uh, it, it, was, it was just the way it was. I mean, Bob Gibson had 28 complete games out of 37 starts one year. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know the answer, but it breaks my heart uh, when I see, you know, five innings uh, or, or 100 pitches or something that happened in last year's World Series when Ugh. Snell got – yeah. Taken out after one hit, I came out of my chair. You weren't alone. <laughs> oh my, my goodness! So that that has changed. Uh, uh, you know the, this thing about a runner on second base and extra innings because I pitched in, in extra innings and I was still out there. I'm working hard. I got a tie ball game and they're going to give a guy two bases to lead off the the, the inning. Uh, it. it you know, it's personal. I, I don't want to get into it deeply, but uh, it, it breaks my heart to see some of the directions the, pitchers, the pitching has gone into. Steve, I talked to Greg Brown the other day, and he referenced you along these lines. He said, you know, I, he, he, I guess he references this all the time on the air and off the air, that one of the things you believe with baseball is we need to, make, we need to stop making so many damn, I think he said damn, he might even put a word ahead of that that I can't even say on this podcast, um, that we need to stop making so many changes to baseball, let baseball just be baseball. Is Greg quoting well, you right with that? Absolutely. I've said for years, even before a lot of this stuff happens, uh, it, it breaks my heart when we change, we chase other 
forms of entertainment and uh, meaning sports. My thinking is that if you leave it alone, it's a grand old game. And if people want to go to this new contemporary stuff or current stuff, uh, eventually they'll come back because baseball is such a good game. I don't think you have to, uh, you, you can have one traditional game that people just, uh, love. And, and I don't, I don't know if I'm, I'm right about it, but it's such a good game. I think people will always come back. Even if they go in different directions, they'll come back to the, the, the joy of a game. Because I think it's an imperfect game played by imperfect people, and that's part of the reasons that we're drawn to it. So, yeah, uh, Greg, uh, Greg has uh, has quoted me accurately. <laughs> <laughs> well, it brings us to where we are now, too, with the fact that a lot of uh, we're getting close to the trade deadline, and you know the Pirates are trying to stock up on things. And I'm just wondering, you've seen a lot of these pitchers, uh, you know, even when, you know, final year where you were broadcasting, is there anyone in the organization right now that you think can step up and be somebody they could kind of use as core for the days moving forward? Or do they have to do what they're doing, which is just stockpiling a whole bunch of people and, you know, hoping that some of them just develop? You know, well, there's there's always been an aspect of that is, is stocking your, your cupboard, you know, on the minor leagues and hoping somebody breaks through, uh, I'll, I'll go back personally for a minute. We had to beg the Pirates to sign me when I came out from Connecticut to try out in 1960. They had no idea that I was going to be a productive pitcher. If you have an 18-year-old young man, you, I, I really don't think you can guarantee what you're going to know when he's 23. So, uh, you know, scouting is a big part, player development. I think right now they're they're trying to do that. They're trying to uh, get as many young kids and, and make, you know, stockpile the minor league system as best they can. Because as I said before, in the late 60s, you know, with a stocked minor league system, uh, we, we walked ourselves into a great decade in the 70s. So, um, you know, and it gets down to, you know, I, I hope they can do it. Uh, I have a lot of people that ask me all the time, you know, what's wrong with the Pirates? You know, why don't they spend money? And, and I don't have the answers. Uh, I'd like to see them spend more money, but it's not absolutely that simple. Um, I get down to the fact I'm 80 years old, and I tell people, I say, I live in Pittsburgh. It's my hometown team, and I root for them. And I don't know how to run a baseball business. I got my fingers crossed that at some point they can get it figured out. Steve, what do you like about the team now? Well, you got to like some young players like Hayes and Reynolds and Frazier. Now, can you – Use that as a core to build around. Again, I don't know, and, and I, you know, I, I leave that up to the to the people that uh, are going to be working on that. Um, uh, I, I, Jacob Stallings has evolved into a, a, a really a, a, a really good catcher. Uh, I didn't know if that would happen, but I think it, I, I, I've been impressed with his improvement. But you, you've got to have a starting rotation. I think you could depend on. We always used to say. You got five starters. I want three I can depend on that are, that are going to be the guys we can count on. So you work toward that end, and uh, they're working on it. Uh, it's, it's not happening on a regular basis right now, uh, but I'm still hooked on them. <laughs> they, they just did the draft. They took a catcher over a guy who many believe is going to be like an elite pitcher in Jack Leiter. I'm sure you knew his his family, Al, and oh his, yeah, his brother. Yeah. And uh, well, again, uh, I'm I'm not in on those discussions. Uh, uh, you know, a, a, a dependable big-time catcher is so valuable. I remember uh, we missed on, uh, what is it, Weeders from Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought we were going to have him. Uh, 
and that that's that's a foundation guy you know and and so uh, i can see i can see them leaning toward that uh he's a guy that can play every day a pitcher uh ideally can pitch once every five days so you you weigh those things back and forth that's all part of the the factoring in so uh uh, if you get a good, good catcher that you can depend on for 10 years, you, you've made one heck of a good draft. So um, I'm, I'm hoping he, he can evolve into the guy. Pony, I'd be, I'd be curious to hear Steve's take on two words, spider tack. <laughs> uh, you're breaking up, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I, come on pitch, now. I know people, I've talked to pitchers all over the place. People have to for years. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know what spider tack is, but I don't want to get bit by it. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I, I I tried to I tried to fool around with the, with a, a spitball I know when I when I was throwing, and it didn't do a heck of a lot. <laughs> uh, but I know guys had success with it. So uh, uh, you it, back in the day, you tried that stuff. If you got caught, uh, you got suspended or something, and that's the way it was. If you didn't get taught, uh, caught, and it worked. Uh, Hey, you got away with it. So it's it's illegal, but uh, guys have been trying that kind of stuff. I remember them pulling out a, a lady's nail file out of the back pocket of Joe Necro. <laughs> <laughs> when they when they examined him, they said, what's this? Uh, he said, I use it for my nails to keep my nails nice. <laughs> and I mean, Elson Howard used to scuff the ball and throw it back to Whitey Ford. Uh, guys used to have uh, belts that uh, were, you know, where the belt buckle of uh, the, the thing comes through the they would sharpen that and try to scrape the ball so it's nothing new that pitchers and, and ball players have been trying that stuff uh, it's part of the lore if you get caught you get busted if you don't get caught it might work steve i think pirates fans of a younger generation obviously you know know what you did to win the 71 world series are familiar with clemeni's story and stargell and the the core of of that team uh over the course of the last 50 years, if you want, if you could speak to fans who weren't alive when you won that dramatic Game 7, who were some players from that team who you think you know, deserve to still get the credit and still get a lot of attention today for their contributions to that club? Well, you know, the obvious guys in that World Series, uh, you know, I, I pitched very well. And, of course, it was Clemente's time mm-hmm. uh, for, for everybody to see what we'd been seeing here for 20 years. So th- I think it starts with Clemente as the centerpiece. Uh, and uh, he, he was just—he he was magic to watch. For for young fans, I would say, you know, he had the ability, first of all, to take a ten-year major league veteran and to turn you into a ten-year-old kid. Uh, you didn't want to miss anything he did. I mean, he had a presence even when he was kneeling in the on-deck circle. He had a presence, and uh, so you start with him. Uh, you you start with the with the. the the guys that were in that, say, say that last game, Gene Kleins made a play in that last game when Clemente came in for a ball, misjudged it a little bit, and so it, it bounced beyond him. And Gene Kleins had come over from center field, made a one-hand catch of it, or that ball is still rolling, and Elrod Hendricks has at least a triple instead of a double. He wound up not scoring. Mm. So uh, you, you, you look at – I, I like to look at the secondary cast. Uh, Dave Cash – in his first year of taking over for Mass, uh, did a heck of a job at second base. Jackie Hernandez, I would like young fans to know that Jackie Hernandez was a guy who our opposing manager, Earl Weaver, said you can't win the World Series with. And he makes the play that, that is the, the last out the, of, of the World Series. I mean, you look at that, those places. Uh, Sanguian, who uh, 
who was wonderful. I had a wonderful rhythm with him. I mean, you can go around the field. Pagan plays third base and actually drives in the winning run with a hit-and-run play with Willie Stargell, of all people, who was as big as a beer truck at that point. <laughs> as, he, as he approached third base, Frank Osiak, for the winning run, kept waving him in, and as he, and he ran by, Willie told the story, as he ran by Frank Osiak, he says, really? Really? <laughs> <laughs> Osiak is waving him in, and, he's, and it's a surrender at home plate. It's not a slide to score the winning. <laughs> Willie himself said it was a surrender. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's so much magic in, in that, that last game. I mean, to, to, to throw a hanging slider in a one-run game in the bottom of the ninth that ties it up, if, if that gets popped up instead of hit 400 feet. Uh, there was, there was a, a play early in the World Series. Clemente hit a previous home run, and you can see it right at the end of the World Series film. Okay, uh, He hits it over Frank Robinson's head, and, and that series was once built between the, a battle between the, the, the best right fielders. And so the ball sails over Frank Robinson's head, and just before the camera goes away, as the ball clears his head and the wall, there's a, just a little subtle tip of the cap by Frank Robinson. That kind of stuff gives, still gives me goosebumps. That is the old world professionalism that didn't have to be a grandstand gesture, just a tip of the cap from Frank Robinson to Clemente. That stuff is beautiful. That is, and we give you a tip of the hat for joining us here today, Steve. I know um, your time in the Pirates has been well documented, but I, I, I think I speak on behalf of everyone uh, Andrew, including myself, yep. for, for thanking you for all the professionalism, all the things you did as a player, as a broadcaster, as an ambassador for sports, and specifically the Pirates and baseball in general. So thanks for that, and thank you for your time. Well, thank you. I, uh, you're, you're very kind with that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so easy to, uh, to uh, be an athlete in this city. All you have to do is reach out for a minute, and people, re- they'll, they'll reach you for, for 100 years. So, um, uh I feel lucky to have been here for a lot of years. It's it's uh, it's been a, a great great trip. Thank you so Steve much, Steve Blast. Uh, did you Steve. know this pony? He was the author of two hole in one in the same round. Oh yeah, I read his book. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, that, that's something that you never see ever. <laughs> and Steve did it. Thanks, Steve. Thank you guys again. Enjoyed the visit. You've been listening to the Pomp and Pony Podcast, powered by Bowser Chevrolet. Join us each week for another Hop and Pony Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.